0: I go to the gym. I do squats. I do deadlifts. I heard I need to lift heavy, and like that's what runners need. Awesome! Like, totally agree. Runners do need to lift heavier than we traditionally thought 10, 15 years ago, when we thought like, hey, we're endurance athletes. Like, you don't want to lift heavy because then you bulk up. It's going to make you slower and all that. Like, I love
1: that. It's like go tell a bodybuilder how easy it is to bulk up. They're going to laugh at your face. Like, they, they spend their whole life eating like ten thousand calories a day in the hopes of gaining two pounds.
0: Hey runners, what's going on? I have a different episode for you today, uh, one in which I was actually a guest on another show, the Rambling Runner podcast with my friend uh, Matt Chittam. And we had a great conversation about running injuries that you can run through. And I got a lot of great feedback on this episode. And therefore, I wanted to share it with you all here on the Healthy Runner podcast because I think this would be super informative for you if you've ever struggled with a running related injury and you've been told to stop running and you are looking for ways to actually heal your injury without being told to stop running. And as you'll see in this episode, most of the injuries that we go through, you do not need to stop running and it's actually slowing down your recovery process by using you stopping running. So I hope you enjoy this episode um, in which I am on the other side of the mic and Matt is asking me the questions. And then we had a great great uh fun this was like super fun segment at the end of his show called five questions um regarding running shoes and i talk about the running shoes that i currently am using so if you are interested in what uh running shoes that i wear then you'll get a kick out of uh the end of this episode and it was super fun just talking about shoes so who doesn't like running shoes um Maybe I should share more of that here on the podcast because I really enjoyed talking about shoes. Um, I hope you guys love this conversation. Check out the Rambling Runner podcast wherever you are listening to this podcast um, to check out all of Matt's links. You can click them in the show notes as well. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. This episode is powered by UCAN. Whether you are looking for food to eat before a run or even during a run and you don't want it to upset your stomach, or if you're looking for that mid-morning or afternoon snack to power you through your workday, I have the Jack of All Trades You Can product for you. It is their great tasting energy bars. My personal favorite is the salted peanut butter, which is dairy-free, but I have many clients who just love the chocolate fudge energy bar. No matter which flavor you choose, you really can't go wrong because each bar packs a punch without compromising your health. With gluten-free ingredients and low sugar, they provide up to 75 minutes of steady energy with no spikes, crashes, or jitters to remain easy on your stomach. You know how important it is to implement a simple, easy-to-use nutrition strategy to fuel your body in order to grow as a runner. Fuel smarter now and get 20% off of all of your UCAN orders just for being a part of this community. Simply go to UCAN.co forward slash healthy runner, that's UCAN.co, not .com, or just click the special link I have for you in the show notes and grab your 20% off when you pop in the code healthy runner. Go ahead and give this versatile tool in your runner's toolbox a try. I know you're just going to love you can't energy bars. Now let's get into this week's episode
1: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host. Matt Chittam is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. really fun episode today with Dwayne Scotty, my friend, my PT and PT to so many people, both because he's their client, I mean, because they are his clients, I should say, also with Healthy Runner podcast, which if you listen to this, you probably have listened to that. If you haven't, go check it out. For sure. Uh, he has a lot of great episodes. He actually has one with me on there. Don't listen to that one. Listen to all the other ones. Um, they're all, they're all really good. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to, you can hear him cackling. I'm doing a live intro read before we get into it. Um, but I do want to say a uh, big shout out to our sponsors today, Vacation Races and a new sponsor, Sky. You'll hear the ads for those later. But as always, you can check out the promo codes and all the good stuff in the show notes. Dwayne, how's it going, my right, man?
0: What's going on, Matt? Thanks for having me back on. It's always good to connect, and I think it's probably been, it's got to be over two years, probably like two and a half years since we've done this last, so time flies.
1: Yeah, it was almost exactly two years to the day when I came down to your office, down just outside of New Haven, to get checked out for something that had been bothering me for a couple months, and you uh, fixed me. In about 12 hours. <laughs> I basically, I hadn't run in a while. I ran the next day and it's um, a great reminder because that's the point of this conversation. So what we're talking about today is something that doesn't make any sense when you probably read it in the headline of today's episode, which is why you can run through injuries that were caused by your running. Which, what? That doesn't, it's like being, it's like saying like, hey, here's, you should just keep eating the foods that these foods will make you slimmer. Even though they're the foods that made you overweight. It's like kind of like the same logic, but you're like, that doesn't make any sense. So I, I, that's a, what? What are you telling me to do? It's like, that's like the first glance reaction to this title. And I love it because at the same time, I'm living to proof of this. This is what you did with me. And it's just like a fascinating concept.
0: Yeah, no, and this is definitely one of the the biggest uh, mistakes, honestly, in the medical community and how we haven't done a great job in helping the running community. And that's really how I started doing what I do today as a virtual physical therapist, run coach and helping runners is because I get frustrated, honestly, of seeing, you know, the, the same running clients and I love working with runners, you know, my whole. 20 year career as a physical therapist. And, you know, I'd love to get you out of IT band pain, get your plantar fasciitis down, you don't have pain, and, you know, you discharge and then you go back to running. Maybe I gave you like a return to run program or progression, and insurance didn't pay for physical therapy anymore. So you had to do that on your own, and I couldn't monitor you as you started getting back into running. And then those same runners were back in my clinic four months, six months every time they train for a half marathon, every time they train for a marathon. And unfortunately, runners get the stigma from the medical community is you are a runner, you keep coming back in with injuries, so why don't you just stop running and maybe you wouldn't get injured or maybe your body's just not meant for running. And this is such a misnomer because we know that you know, nine out of 10 runners listening to this right now have either been injured or unfortunately will get injured in this next year. And a lot of it is due to like runner error and the things that we are actually doing within our training and within our strength training, within our running, our nutrition, our recovery, right? So there is these elements of how we can run to get the mental clearing miles in that we love to get in and you don't have to suffer a running related injury. And it's just so common that the medical community feels that, hey, they were running. Like if they have an injury, well, let's do this. Let's stop running four to six weeks, six to eight weeks, go to physical therapy. And then once your pain goes away, gradually get back into running. And the problem is the same problem keeps coming back. So I am on a mission to help educate our running community that we don't need to actually stop running. And oftentimes, it's actually counterproductive to actually healing from your injury if you stop running. So obviously, you can tell this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation, Matt.
1: I love it. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense in the world to me. Someone who's lived through it, but it definitely doesn't make logical sense for a lot of people, especially if they're can if they're not someone like you who's well versed um in all things, like what is anatomically correct with someone's body and how they can optimize certain things and, and all the th- that goes into not only the things that you've learned as doctor physical therapy, but also someone who teaches uh in this discipline as well. So I think this is really important. I think what some people get lost in the the sauce on this one is like they start making like you know, trying to make comparisons to other things, right? Like, well, if like my brakes are gone on my car, like, I'm not going to be riding around my brakes. I got to, like, put the car to the shop, stop driving on it, fix it, and now I'm good to go. You know what I mean? So you have, like, these sorts of comparisons and things like that, again, which makes logical sense, but at the same time, as you mentioned, like, The proof is in the pudding. With a lot of this stuff, we're going to talk about specific injuries and why you can still run through them as you do these other things, as um and you know to to enhance your health and comp and complement and supplement what you're doing. So let's talk about some major injuries first that that we can that that we can address in this way where we don't necessarily have to stop running, and then we can kind of go go through them kind of one by one. What are some common injuries that yet immediately for you? Generally speaking, again, this is all generally speaking because we can't get to, you know, specific cases uh, unless we're talking about like, one of us uh, on the podcast, um, but just generally speaking, what are some common injuries that fall under this rubric?
0: Yeah, so this is, this is a, a good one, Matt, and I think you know, the most common injuries that we really don't need to stop running are going to be more of your tendon injuries in general, and the ones that are usually more chronic in nature. So the big ones that we see um, as runners is really Achilles, tendinopathy, or tendinitis. Most people think of it as um, posterior tibial pain, pain on the inside part of your ankle, IT band syndrome, which um, can definitely give you some sharp pain on the outside of your knee, um, especially as you run downhill upper hamstring tendinopathy, so very common in our marathoners um, who have been at it quite some time and they get pain like at their sit bone uh, when they are sitting for a long period of time and then during their runs. And those are probably the most common ones that we don't need to stop running. Um, And they're all kind of behaved the same way in terms of being like a soft tissue structure that has been overloaded at some point in time, but actually becomes weakened and develops or fails to heal in a certain response and a normal healing pattern. So now it's in this kind of chronic injury cycle where you're always having some level of pain. And every time you try to add speed work back in or every time you try to take that long run back up to where it used to be, whether it's double digits or finally training for a marathon and doing a 14, a 16, and then it like creeps back in. And then you're like, oh, it's back again. Like, I'm never going to be able to run this marathon. Uh, maybe I'm just not meant to be a runner. And you know, now I got to shut it down, and I'm going to go get it fixed. Um, so those are the those are the most common ones.
1: Yeah. And before you talked about how, like, actually by stopping running, that could actually impede the healing process. Again, now, this is more of a general comment than about any particular um, issue that you just mentioned, but. Generally speaking, how would that possibly be the case where we're running well while well, stopping running would impede the healing process?
0: Yeah, and there's really like five reasons to not stop running when you have a running injury. So the first is that you actually lose your running fitness, right? So all the cardiovascular benefits, all the aerobic capacity that you've been working on, building up in those easy runs, in your long runs, um, if we just stop running, we're going to lose that fitness, right? Number two is we lose the only way to get like our mental stress relief um, for most of us adult runners and amateur runners, it, you know that 's our time that 's our alone time, right so we don 't have kids work, spouse like things, home stuff going on, and that 's how a lot of us honestly show up better as moms, dads, employees, business owners, leaders within our companies, right so that 's definitely a negative, right so we don 't want that to happen. Um, third is that we get weaker. And your muscles actually, your running specific muscles start to atrophy. And then fourth is you're going to get stiffer. So if we're not actually taking your joints through those motions and not doing running, then we can start to see more stiffness in joints and the ankle is a common one that we see a lot in runners. And when we get stiffness in that ankle joint, just think of like your ability, let's say you're in a hillier area where you're running or your race has hills and your ankle needs to flex beyond neutral like a 90 degree angle to get up a hill. And if your ankle gets stiffer, and it's not able to get up that hill, then there's more stress to the structures in and around the ankle, such as the Achilles tendon, the posterior tibial tendon, and the planar fascia. So kind of getting that those are all that one little variable, like having flexibility in your ankle is a risk factor for developing those three common running-related injuries. Um, so that's kind of the fourth reason. The fifth reason is the fact that those tissues now aren't being loaded. So if we did what I learned 20 years ago when I graduated PT school to rest, ice, compress, elevate, do no harm, right? You have pain, everything needs to calm down. We need to calm it down. And if you do that for two, four, six, eight weeks, like many people do, then those tissues actually haven't received the proper load. Now, the good thing is that our educational model in physical therapy is much better. So the students that I educate... And, you know, many programs nowadays and newer therapists that are coming out and starting to work have learned that, you know, the the research in the last 10 to 15 years has showed that proper loading in a progressive fashion is actually helping stimulate that healing process. So we call it like mechanotransduction, and I don't want to get super sciency here, but... Um, that loading and stimulus to the tendon or the plantar fascia or the IT band is actually helpful in allowing that tissue to remodel and heal for the long run, pun intended there. Um, so that's really you know five reasons why we don't want to stop running. Um, and I don't know if that's ever considered by let's say the general medical practitioner out there who doesn't specialize in seeing a lot of runners and they don't realize the loss in running fitness the loss in what you do for stress relief um the negative consequences of getting weaker or getting stiffer are going to do to your whole physical well-being as a runner as a human um so that's that's kind of my uh that's my support not only for the tissue but for our overall health and well-being as runners.
1: Yeah, I think that the health and well-being side—you're you're not going to have any—you're not going to have many people listening to this podcast that would disagree at first glance on that one. I can imagine some people being like, "Oh, I know," but like I've tried to run through it before, Dwayne, and that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm listening to you because I tried to run through it and it didn't work. That—that's why I'm here. And you're telling me, "Hey, we can run through it." So let's just talk as we can speak individually now about some of these things. The first one I want to talk about is IT band syndrome. Um, this is something that affects again, like you mentioned you bring these up because a lot of people are affected by this I have some runners who get affected by this I was affected by this a, a little bit when I did some indoor track work um, at Brown a couple it was like about a decade ago I was doing some some indoor track work where I was always running in the same direction and like my inside my inside knee started to develop some some issues again I wasn't like married to the indoor track it was like it was like it was a pretty but it was a pretty big hassle to get there so I was like all right I'm out it's so, like I kept running I Left what I left the track and I was fine but ultimately this this plagues a lot of people and this is one where I know people are like, "Oh my god, like how can I how can I just fix this?" So walk me through again, not just like the parameters of how you fix this, but in under the guise of, "Hey, like you don't have to necessarily stop running um full sail right from the start."
0: Yeah, and that's really the the general theme of all these injuries that we're going to talk about is that we want to, I said, not stop running, but we need to modify our running. Mm-hmm. And that is really going to be dependent upon where you are as a runner, so kind of taking a look at the full picture um, in terms of your running experience, right? Are you an experienced runner or are you a novice? Um, What is your general health? What is your general strength in the whole lower body area? And what were you doing for training? Was it just training errors? Like that was the biggest reason, Matt, that I became a running coach is because I realized it wasn't only the physical side of why runners got injured. More often than not, it is the runner doing something and it's not to their fault because they didn't know right? Like I didn't know when I trained for my first marathon, I got the free plan online and I just followed the plan. No matter what my sleep looked like, no matter if I started feeling pain, I needed, it said 14. I was running 14 for that long. It said 16. I was running 16, right? And I just said, Hey, I've been working out in the gym for like, you know, 15 years. I, I I consider myself to be physically fit. Let's go with the intermediate plan. Right. And you know, I didn't know, and the modifications that we need in our training is usually the biggest error I see in runners is that they don't modify because we are tend to be type A and we got a plan, we got to stick to the plan. And that's where like a great running coach like yourself, um, or if you have a running coach is able to actually guide you, right? And like modify and make those little adjustments that can be like critical Time points in that marathon training cycle, that half marathon training cycle, that allow your body just that little bit of recovery to kind of prevent a little like ache and pain or niggle from like turning into now a full blown injury. And now you're really starting to stress out because your race is like three weeks away, four weeks away, and you have to peak in your training. And now it's like, do I peak or do I just like cut back and or do I not taper? Like, what do I do? Um, That's a common scenario. So really looking at um, kind of modifying the running. That's kind of the main overlying theme here is not stopping running and it might look like taking speed workout or, hey, you've been doing intervals on the track now and you tell me that your pain is worse when we run faster. So you know what, let's try some threshold work. Right? Maybe I'm going to give you. We're going to try out some shorter, you know, duration, tempo, threshold work, and see how that feels. Or it might be taking speed workout altogether. Or maybe you've been doing some, you know, long runs at pace, and you've been adding some marathon pace into your long runs, and you've never done that before in your training. So. Right, like hopefully I'm kind of explaining this where the modifications you make will vary. It's not like cut your mileage by 50% or you know decrease your intensity and decrease your pace by one minute every run you go on. So there's a lot of different variables that we can modify in terms of like how fast we're running, whether we're running those different paces, how many miles that we're running, the duration that we're running. All of that is going to be taken into account and then really building up the strength in the supporting muscle. So let's take IT band for um, example, as you brought up. The reason why people get IT band syndrome is simply they have a lack of hip muscle strength on the outside hip muscle. So your gluteus medius muscle, that muscle is our most important running muscle that we have because when we run and one of our... Our foot lands on the ground. We're always on one leg when we run. Our hips should be nice and level. And oftentimes, we see IT band syndrome in folks that have this big, what we call hip drop or pelvic drop because that side hip muscle, that gluteus medius muscle, is not doing its job to keep our hips stable. And when that occurs, the knee goes in and this creates more force, tension on the IT band. And now you couple in downhill. Usually this is something that hurts worse with downhill running. And you try to increase your cadence and your turnover time going down that hill so you don't like totally lose control. And maybe you're trying to like make up some time right, on that downhill running. And now the knee is flexing and extending at a more rapid rate and you have this little pelvic drop and that's where we get the irritation of the IT band. So for IT band syndrome, it's all about finding out what is the root cause, identifying it. So is it side hip muscle weakness? That's going to be the most common. It could also be your deep hip rotator muscles, um, which really control how your kneecap and your whole femur bone is aligned when your foot hits the ground and really working on strengthening those areas. And even I'll take it one step back because sometimes it's not because I get a lot of runners who are like, well, I do strength training. I go to the gym. I do squats. I do deadlifts. I heard I need to lift heavy. And like, that's what runners need. Awesome. Like, totally agree. Runners do need to lift heavier than we traditionally thought 10, 15 years ago when we thought like, hey, we're endurance athletes. Like, you don't want to lift heavy because then you bulk up. It's going to make you slower and all that. Like I
1: love that. It's was like, go tell a bodybuilder how easy it is to bulk up. They're going to laugh at your face. Like They, they spend their whole life eating like 10,000 calories a day in the hopes of gaining two pounds. And like, yeah, so I was like, I might bulk up if I lift heavy this one time.
0: Yes, yeah, I listened to your episode with Jason uh, Fitzgerald. I thought that was a great chat you guys had about uh, strength training and uh, lifting heavy. And yeah, I loved your comment about that. It's like, yeah, it's not so easy to bulk up, right? And, and you're not going to get huge. You're not going to like turn into, you know, right, the whole the, the reason these dudes take
1: steroids. The reason they take so much steroids is because it's really hard to, yeah. to bulk up. <laughs>
0: Yes. Um, So that's really, you know, the main goals of honestly IT band uh, treatment. And then the one thing that I guess most people want to do is they think, hey, it's the IT band. Maybe they Google and they like how to roll your IT band. Oh, maybe I should roll it. And they roll over the IT band that's already irritated. So, like, if you're listening to this and for some reason you've been doing that, like, stop rolling your IT band. And I do have a video on my YouTube channel that kind of shows how I like to release just in front. And just behind the IT band, so we get the fascia and the connective tissue that allows a decompressive effect. So it takes the stress off of the IT band, uh, which can be extremely helpful. So stop irritating it by rolling over it and strengthen the muscles that are the contributing factors. And if you don't know which muscles that you need to strengthen, you know, see a good running health professional who is either a runner themselves and are going to understand your concerns as a runner, and you have this goal race, and, you know, you have The three reasons why you really want to run this race, and they understand that. And, you know, they've seen a lot of runners in your situation. Um, or like if they're not a runner, they work with a lot of runners. Uh, That makes the difference, honestly, in your care. Um, it will, and they will be able to pick up on like some of the unique tests that we do, um, to assess in runners and to make sure that your movement patterns are good. We will actually look at your running form and your gait pattern and see are there contributing factors um, when you are running. And we might address some of those in addition to actually targeting the muscles that we need to target to prevent IT Van Syndrome from coming back because we do know that it might feel better for a little bit. But like I said, once you start getting up to 16, 18, it's like the magic miles that... You know, everyone reaches out. It's like, hey, I got an IT band. When did it start? Oh, it started on my 14, my 16, my 18. Or I did my long run and I really love this trail and I wanted to try it with my friend and it was like some serious elevation. And when I was coming down, that's when my IT van got like this stabbing pain on the outside of my uh, knee.
1: Now, that makes all the sense in the world, especially when you, you see like with so many of these things you know, the, the increase in the amount of mileage usually leads to this, right? You'll see a lot of people, as I haven't seen a lot of people, you might disagree, you know, who are doing 10 to 15 miles a week who are dealing with, you know, IT band syndrome. Unless, like, they're, they're running almost like it's the chicken anything. They're running that, that mileage because they got, you know, um, issues with their IT band, but, um, can I ask one, one, more quick question about this? Of course. You mentioned about like hip strength, hip angle, and the interrelated parts of this. Um, traditionally speaking, women have a different, pel- a different hip angle going towards the knee than men do. Again, we're speaking generally here. Are they more at risk for IT band syndrome because of that difference in angle or is that not, a, is that not a significant issue?
0: No, absolutely. And this will definitely be more common in our female um, athletes um, because of that fact. So you're right. Like anatomically, the pelvic bone is wider because women have the ability to, uh, you know, make, make life happen and the miracle of life. Uh, so unfortunately for them, it does put them at a slight disadvantage in terms of just being not in the optimal um, alignment. And it varies, you know, some females, it's not as, you know, prominent and others. It is, especially if you have really long legs and you have a really long femur bone and you do have a wider pelvis, that angle, it, it just means, and it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, scare anyone thinking like, oh, they can't run. And like, they'll never be able to train for a marathon. Again, because they're totally the
1: opposite. Of that. Yeah. <laughs> right. like why you can't run.
0: It, It just means that that person needs to double down on making sure those hip muscles are even stronger than someone who had like, quote unquote, optimal alignment. I hope you are enjoying this episode and it is providing value for you. I wanted to take a brief moment to share a story of a real runner like you who is struggling with a common problem that you may be facing. Here's one of our athletes who got the guidance, support and accountability from our healthy runner coaching team to get clarity and structure on the six steps to growing as a runner with personalized strength, nutrition and run plans. I hope their story inspires you that there is hope to either get over your running injury or to continue getting faster or running longer so you can continue to get in those mental clearing miles and enjoy your running journey again. Here is their inspiring story.
2: My name is Amanda, and I have been working with Dr. Scotty and the Healthy Runner team for about three months. And this morning, I did a Tempo run, and I felt strong and powerful, and most incredibly, I was pain-free. And I am so excited about this and about the progress I have made in the past three months that I just want to tell all runners what's possible. I have been a runner since I was a teenager and in those two and a half decades of running, I have always had some sort of little niggle or have felt like I'm on the verge of a huge injury. I could not confidently challenge myself with speed or progress in mileage and I have never really known how to take the steps to get past that. Um, About three years ago, I found Dr. Scotty's podcast and I listened to every single episode. I learned so much from what I was um, listening to and watching videos, Um, but also in that time, I had developed a really bad hamstring injury, hamstring pain, and I couldn't quite shake it. Through listening to Dr. Scotty's podcast, I. could still run, um, but I didn't know what to do to take the steps to heal it. And so I continued running and I even ran a marathon, but I always was held back because of the pain. I felt like I really couldn't push myself um, because I just had this nagging pain. And finally, I decided that my options were to either stop running completely, run with pain forever, or to call Dr. Scotty. And um, I'm so, so glad I called Dr. Scotty. I um, told him in our initial meeting that my goal was not to run a specific race, but it was to become a strong and durable runner while also increasing my mileage and to heal that hamstring. And Dr. Scotty did a detailed assessment in which he Um, found some weaknesses that were affecting my running form and economy, and he developed a plan, um, a strength and running plan for me to follow. And after three months, I am running 30 miles a week, and I'm doing strength workouts that seemed impossible Um, but the most valuable thing isn't what i thought it was i thought it was going to be healing my hamstring but the most valuable thing was that dr scotty helped give me confidence to see that i am a strong runner who can handle a higher training load and also really work toward bigger goals and in our very first meeting i told dr scotty that i had this deep fear that this wasn't going to work for me and that i was just always going to be a runner that would run with pain, and that it would always be a struggle for me. And when I told him that, he didn't even hesitate. He just told me he was so excited because he knew what was possible with the right tools. And um, now I, I share in his excitement because his expertise and his ex- encouragement and his confidence um, really genuinely, I believe, changed my trajectory As a runner. And so now I'm not just pain free, I'm excited to continue to get stronger and faster. And now I believe I have the tools to do it.
0: I hope sharing that story inspired you and provided you some hope. If you want the one-on-one structure, accountability, and support from our Healthy Runner coaching team of experts, check out the -the behind-the-scenes video tour of our signature coaching program you just heard about, including other stories from runners who are just like you and were struggling with the same sticking points before they signed up for our program. Just head to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com to learn more and book your strategy call with me today. Now let's get back into this episode.
1: You're the one who knows all of these, all of these issues far better than I do. So I'm just going to like lead the horse to water, and I'll let you. I'll let you drink. So where do you want to go to next?
0: Yeah, you want to you to go the opposite end of the spectrum. we want going to go down to the foot. Let's do it. All right. Yeah, the the most common one in the foot is plantar fasciitis. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's this heel pain that you, um, you know, you start feeling like a little achiness, like when you first get out of bed in the morning, you take your first step and you're like, Oh, what the heck is that? Like, that's weird. You take a couple of steps, it goes away. And you just notice over days, weeks, that keeps getting worse. It, it's a little bit more troublesome. And then it takes like maybe five minutes to actually go away, not like a couple of steps. And then you start feeling your runs and you're like, okay, this is kind of weird. And then it's like the long runs, you start feeling it. So that's kind of the classic plantar fasciitis story. It's pain in your heel or in the arch area. And the the fascia on the bottom of your foot is just connective tissue. So it's similar to the IT band in that it is connective tissue, really. The IT band is a little unique in that it's not a true tendon. It's a tendon, but it's more like connective tissue because it's so long it goes down our whole thigh. Um, but the fascia is the same thing, like the plantar fascia, but it behaves like a tendon in that you can't just stop, rest, ice it, and it's going to get better and just roll your foot. Um, we actually have to get down to like the root cause. And is it a limitation in mobility of your big toe? And you don't have really good flexibility in the fascia. And that's that's one thing that I've you know known since the beginning of my career. It's like, hey, if there's one thing that anyone with plantar fasciitis needs to do is like literally before you take your first step in the morning, because when we sleep, our toes are pointed down and the fascia tightens. So it's like that for six, seven, eight, nine hours, maybe if you get sleep, right? Um, That long. And then we take our first step, our body weight goes down on our foot, the fascia splays out, it causes irritation where it connects to the bone in your heel, and that creates the pain that we see. So it's this constant irritation of the tissue as it connects to the bone, and it causes this kind of cycle of inflammation, pain, and then it gets tight and stiff, inflammation, pain, tight and stiff. And it it, it creates and it pulls on the bone. So then you wind up seeing you go to a normal physician, you know, someone who doesn't see a lot of runners maybe. And they're like, oh, look at this big bone spur you have underneath your foot. Like, maybe you shouldn't run. You know, if it hurts with running, like I wouldn't run because you got this bone spur. Like, no, the bone spur doesn't cause pain because we know that we can probably you know, take x-rays of both you and I, Matt, and we'll probably have bone spurs under our foot and you and I don't have pain right now, right? So, like, it's not the bone spur that causes pain and we know that. It is the connection of the fascia to that bone that causes the pain. So, how do we get rid of this is, number one, stretch it first thing in the morning before you take that first step. So, get some mobility in the big toe and the fascia and I have, you know, a whole kind of ebook and how to fix plantar fasciitis on my site, um, that you can learn how to do that stretch. And then also mobilize it before your runs, after your runs. And then the big game changer for me, honestly, and this happened to me last year, believe it or not, I started getting some mild symptoms as I went back for seconds uh, in the marathon and ran my first marathon in five years uh, last summer. And as I was peaking, I started getting some symptoms. But I really doubled down on my intrinsic foot muscle strengthening, which is something that I think is missing a little bit um, for some folks. They think like, oh, I'll roll the foot. Maybe I'll stretch it. But the stronger our intrinsic foot muscles are, the less stress it puts on the fascia. And the problem with this is it does take some time and some patience Because I was a person, Matt, who was in custom foot orthotics for 15 years, 16, yeah, 16 years. Um, Ever since I went to PT school, my professor was like, hey, you got flat feet, like go in these orthotics and wear them forever. What I found out is in my 30s when I couldn't even move and spread my toes apart because all those muscles in my foot atrophied away because they never had to work because I was always in supported custom foot orthotics, working, standing all day, running, running, exercise in the gym. Um, so those muscles atrophied away and, you know, I really had to retrain how to actually use these muscles and it took a while, but now getting them stronger and actually promoting the activation in my strength training in the gym and in my running has been like a game changer. And that's usually something I see with a lot of clients who have this condition, um, can be super beneficial. So those are kind of the the two big ones for like plantar fasciitis and how to kind of overcome that and and that one is it's super rare, Matt, that I've never had honestly, I could pretty much say anyone have to stop running. Like literally it's Modify running. Let's get on these specific strategies. And then I guess the third thing I probably should mention is the ankle mobility that I mentioned earlier. If your ankles are stiff and you've been told you have stiff ankles, or even if you have a really high arch, usually that's accompanied by a stiff ankle joint. So you might want to actually mobilize your ankle joint um, a little bit and work on that mobility and work on the flexibility of your calf muscle in order to decrease the stress to the fascia on the bottom of your foot
1: now pf is something that i know it plagues more than just runners right even like being a big nba fan i remember like tim duncan was dealing with it for years right you even heard uh this past year lebron james dealing with it in the playoffs and i don't think the i think it came out that he had plantar fasciitis potentially but then it was kind of like then no 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 and you know there's kind of like you know little cook and dagger stuff um I don't know. He said he said he said he visited the, the the He said that he visited the the LeBron James of foot doctors. Was that you? Were you the LeBron James? Of foot <laughs> I doctor? wish because he, he was able to continue playing in the playoffs. Yeah, but immediately it's explosive. But so what about? Especially with PF, what makes this an injury that, you know, people talk about in such dire terms so often? Like, this is the vampire bite of, of, of running injuries, and, you know, you get this, and you may never be the same. But you, you hear these things talked about, um, I guess, maybe pretty cavalierly, but at the same time, like, I've heard this over and over again, and I never had it. But I'd like the dreaded, like, oh, my God, if I get this, this is going to be a, a total game changer. You talk about it in very different terms.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's probably um, it's it's probably because it does take a while to get better, and that's what most people need to understand is this can take six months, twelve months, eighteen months, maybe even two years to fully, fully, like you to even forget about that you ever had PF, right? So I think that's what it is. And the fact that because people still have these lower level symptoms, they're fearful and they don't run. So then, you know, you're going to hear all these stories online and I see this a lot with upper hamstring tendinopathy um, because that's another one that takes a while. That was like the first running-related injury that I got when I started my running journey 12 years ago. It takes a while for that one to get better and yeah, there are like all these Facebook groups for like upper hamstring, proximal hamstring tendinopathy and if you read any of this, I tell all my clients like, don't even read any of that stuff. Don't, because you hear from all the people who are not doing the right things and it's affected their life so much because now they're not doing the things they love to do and they're clearly in this chronic pain kind of cycle and you know you hear all the all the bad stories unfortunately so i have my clients like don't read any of that stuff (laughs) that you see um and i think that's what it is It, it takes a really long time and it's really the the people who are not able to get the strategies, like the right strategies to overcome them. And then they're not in the mindset of, hey, you know what? Maybe my goals need to change for this fall marathon training cycle. And you know what? I was really looking to PR this marathon, but I'm going to look at my long-term health. And you know what? I'd really rather actually be able to do you know, this race in 2024 that I would love to do, as opposed to trying to PR this marathon and then that really messes up my long-term running health. So we're all about like lifelong injury-free running and learning how to run healthy without getting injured so we can continue to get in the mental clearing miles. Um, and that's what we really pride ourselves in at Spark Healthy Runner is to like not only get over the injury but like I want to see you running, you know, like Matt, like one day, I'm going to see you at a race. We're close enough in the Northeast area. Like I'm going to see you, and I hope I see you at, like, we're in our 80s. Like You and I are competing for, like, who's getting first in the 80s division at some local <laughs> Rhode Island, Connecticut, like 5K, and uh, you and I are going to be, like, up there on the podium, right? So that's what I want for people is to look at more of their long-term, like, running health goals as opposed to, like, the short-term stuff.
1: Right, and I think so often, just athletes in general, not even just runners, but athletes in general will have this, like, all right, I'm going to keep pushing it, and then until like, all right, now I'm going to take time off, right? They're really a, basically like a polarization strategy, as opposed to like a mitigation strategy.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And it's almost like, yes, we talk about in our training, our training needs to be polarized, um, we need to do periodization throughout the year, so that yes, there's an off-season, and there's a base building phase. And then there's a, now I'm in half marathon training. Now I'm in marathon training with the air quotes here. Um, But with especially PF and especially the upper hamstring tendinopathy, it does need a different approach where, you know, now I'm in actually, I I need to step it back, modify. I'm not going to be in peak training right now, but I'm kind of base building and getting healthy. Like this is my getting healthy phase and getting stronger because the way we get healthy is we get stronger. So just think about getting stronger is not only going to get rid of your injury, but it's going to be protective for you as a runner moving forward in your running journey. So yeah, just kind of having that little mental uh, reset and you know, just having little different goals.
1: Yeah, and for a lot of people, the mitigation part of this – is not gonna be, It's not gonna have the kind of deleterious effects that you think it may have, um, especially compared to not running at all, right? I have one of my runners, uh, Jessica Brown, uh, who I've been working with for a while. She's great and she's like in the last two or three years, even in her mid forties is like PR, PR all these distances. She's worked super hard. She developed this past spring some IT band stuff, and she was seeing a, a really good physical therapist uh, in the Richmond area. Um, continued to run. Took like a little bit of time off, like a couple days, just to kind of like curb some of the inflammation or whatever. I think it was probably just like, I don't know if the PT recommended that or if that was just like her perception of what needed to be done. But, you know, took a couple days, um, maybe three to five max. And then, you know, we're right back in it. But again, lim- much more limited running. We basically cut it back roughly 50-ish percent. Um, yeah, you know, at the beginning, then kind of eased it back up as, as we were going. But then she just like set a PR at like, at a race that she has done several times. Again, coming off a much more limited training than she had done in the past. And she was able to do that because like she, you know, she'd been training for years and she'd built up a base, but that mitigation part of her, of her buildup, which was like 80% of the buildup into this race, um, was much more limited than it would have normally have been, but it was enough not for her to lose fitness. So she, again, so she was you know, maybe running 25 ish, 30 ish miles a week, but compared to where she was running before, like that was fine to maintain her aerobic base. Again, she wasn't getting, if she wasn't building her aerobic capacity, but she wasn't losing it either. And I think for a lot of people, um, you know, I think that's an important part, to, you know, to, to I guess, to highlight here. Because, again, it may not be what you want to do necessarily, but you're also not really losing a ton of fitness, um, especially from an aerobic capacity perspective. Maybe you are losing some explosive power or you're losing some of your VO2 max type efforts. Again, your, your VO2 max isn't going to go down. That, that goes down with age. But, it, like, maybe some of those types of efforts do decrease. But also, that's the stuff that comes back the fastest. So like, you know, getting that stuff back doesn't take a whole lot of time, but you know, getting the aerobic part back does take time.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's one of those critical points that I was talking about. So like her PT and you as our coach, like made that determination, like here is best, you know, what you need right now based upon their specific scenario. So I guess, you know, we'd be remiss to not mention, like, what are the injuries, just in case someone's listening to this, and they have one of these, um, that you do need to stop running? Um, You know, one (laughs) is a bone stress injury. So if you actually have a stress fracture, and again... A good medical professional will be able to differentially diagnose whether it is just shin splints or it is, you know, a stress fracture or a stress reaction going on in other areas of the body. Um, severe nerve injuries, um, which is extremely rare in runners, but let's just say you had some really bad sciatica, we'll call it, or a pinched nerve in your lumbar spine. You're getting like shooting, stabbing pain down your leg. You're getting numbness, tingling. Like, yes, you do not want to run through that. And then the other Instance when I actually do have to shut my runners down for maybe a couple of days, or like you said, up to five days, is this high tissue irritability where you know pain is all the time like you're having it with walking, you're having it going up and down the stairs, you're having it doing your everyday activities. Like this pain is present a lot, it's really irritable. And you know, maybe pain wise, a rating of seven, eight, nine, ten. Like if your pain is that high then yes like we need to rethink and you know this is when time off would be appropriate depending upon how long that is that has to be you know made by you and your medical provider but the majority of you listening to this right now if you've suffered any of these injuries you would probably agree that your pain has always been less than a 7 you would never give it an 8 or a 9 and There were times during your day where you didn't feel any pain and it was only either when you started running and then it would go away or at the end of a long run, you know, or first thing in the morning, like PF, we talked about, or upper hamstring pain. When you sit, you know, for a long car ride, that's when the pain comes on. Um, So, yeah, but that sounds like that was a great, that was like a critical time point. That's what I'm talking about with those kind of critical time points in our training cycle where, you know what? we're going to shut it down here. And for this athlete, it wasn't negative for her. She had the running fitness. She had the base built up where it, and it was that guidance and it sound like was key. Whereas if she just tried to fight through that, she probably wouldn't have had the race that she had. So that's a great example.
1: And I should say, and I meant to mention this before, is that she actually chose to adopt the Galloway method. As she was coming back, so people might not know. He Jeff Galloway has long um, recommended doing kind of like a run walk strategy when it comes to to running training, even for healthy runners, right? So she kind of adopted that. You know, it was kind of, I'm trying to remember. I think it would have been a four minute on, one minute off mm-hmm. type move. I don't know the exact ratio, but some, something along those lines. And we'd, we'd be going for like 45 minutes to an hour. You know, with that yep. in mind. And again, a part of this is you know I'm sure that works. Um, you know, it certainly worked for her. You know, I think part of this also is like if she was probably just running at easy pace would have been a whole lot different. Who's to say? But part of this also is the mental side, right? If you believe something is going to work, there's a better chance it's going to work.
0: That is true. That is, yeah, certainly true. I'm glad that you you brought up kind of the run, walk, run method. And because I would say for the runners that I exclusively work with is, you know, runners who are struggling with like these stubborn injuries. And a lot of times I will... I would say maybe half the time, right? So for those that have like super low tissue irritability, we might not need to do run walk. But if you're in that, you know, moderate range, let's say, where it is a four or a five out of 10, and I know that I've identified your contributing factors and I'm giving you the specific exercises that's going to address those problem areas that you have, that in addition to having the modification in your running plan of yes, we're decreasing mileage and we're going to actually utilize run walk in a progressive fashion um, has been like key. So, and one of the things I see a lot of um, PTs do in the clinic setting is they'll, they'll, They'll do a wishy-washy run walk and say, you know, let's try one minute on, one minute off, do that for like four weeks. I've actually found it super successful to have a progressive, like if you started one minute on, one minute off, and then actually do two minutes on, one minute off. And then I really start to actually decrease that walking interval to 30 seconds. That's like the ideal that I like to go to a 30-second walk. And then each week, now we increase... Two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. So, whether they're running three times a week, four times a week, five times a week. And then in that week, there's actually different intervals. So, they're not doing the same thing every time. I maintain a long run. So, they might do, you know, like a 10 minute walking warm up. And then they're going to do 10 reps of this, let's say we're at four minute, four minute run, 30 second walk. And they repeat that 10 times. But the other days of the week, they're doing it maybe six times, maybe eight times. So just like when you're you're doing a run coaching plan for anyone with mileage, I'm doing the same thing with their walk-run, and I found that super successful because you're not doing the same thing every day, right? We're putting different stimulus to the body. We're allowing recovery. Um, so that's a nice little tip um, for those out there that are kind of doing some walk-running from a healing perspective during an injury.
1: Yeah, and... You know, I know for some people they're gonna look at they'd be like, "Oh my god, like this is the last thing I want to do." And it feels like I'm regressing. Cause I'm doing, the, I'm walking now on purpose, and runs. That's not really my style. Um, You know, it also reminds me of like some of our trail running friends. Be like, "Hey, man, like." I got to walk sometimes, like going up a steep hill, like walking is just kind of part of the game, you know, and that's just like, that, that's not something new for them, right? And I, as someone who, you know, i run, you run know, pretty often, basically half my runs are on trails. Um, I'm not new to that, and we live in similar areas. Your area is even hillier than mine. You know, if you go to south, uh, eastern Connecticut, there's some really steep <laughs> trails. You know, They don't go crazy high in elevation, but it's like everything's steep everything's right. deep up and down um, where that, that can be certainly the case all right let's do the high the high tendon tendinopathy um yeah. piece of this before we get going like you mentioned I know this has bothered you in the past I know plenty of other people that this bothers and it's one of those ones where like I feel like the people who I know who have this this is purely anecdotal are like some of the best athletes I know which is like such a, a uncommon thing sometimes like again some of these things happen to a lot of different kinds of people but like I feel like this is the one I'm like i whenever I hear this injury I feel like seventy five percent of the time I'm like that person's a stud I can't believe like I can't believe they have this. I wonder if like how that plays a part or if that my anecdotal information but is just like a little off base from the reality.
0: No, that's a great observation. I would say that is definitely been my experience as well. It is more of our, um, let's say, air quotes here, are um, faster runners, um, maybe more fit, more experienced runners, um, and honestly, it is usually because they're thinner too, and they don't have a lot of padding back there. Um, so. Th- you know, If they don't have a lot of padding at their sit bone, their ischial tuberosity, where this hamstring tendon attaches to, they wind up getting more pressure in sitting. So if they have a sitting job where they are sitting all day and or they have a long commute, so they're in the car for long periods of time, this is going to irritate it in addition to what they're feeling during a run. And then especially if they're doing a lot of hills. So hills will definitely irritate this condition. Um but it is one of these stubborn ones. It's like these uh, one of these conditions that most PTs don't know how to treat at all. And you know, in the past, like twenty years ago, I would have just called this like ischial bursitis, and it's just like a fluid-filled sac uh, like underneath your sit bone area. Um, but we know, and you can palpate the actual tendon which reproduces the pain, and it's a soft tissue structure. So if there's a test that you do lying on your back, and you flex the hip to 90 degrees, and then they push down into your shoulder to contract the hamstring. And that really gets it because when the hip's at 90 degrees, that's when you get the compression of the tendon. So really recovering from this is really a lot of times what we see, and especially in these like faster runners, is they're very hamstring dominant and their glutes aren't doing the work that they need to be doing as their primary hip extensor. So to get up that hill, they're using their hamstrings, which the hamstrings are a hip extensor. Not only do they bend our knee, but they also extend our hip just like the glutes do. But their glutes are either, whether it's been years and years of running form, sometimes those that kind of think I should run tall and they might lean back a little bit past their like center of gravity. And when that happens, Our glutes actually, from like a force standpoint, don't need to contract. Um, So we call that like glute amnesia, like the glutes are sleepy. Um, So those people really are what we call hamstring dominant. So they're using their hamstrings primarily. And a lot of that stress goes to the tendon. So the treatment for this is number one, building up the resilience in the tendon and loading it properly in a progressive fashion. And there are specific exercises in how to do that. And then really retraining the glutes. And I don't know why this has been such like, I feel like this is like the big controversy in like a PT or running world space is like You know, you get, like, one end of the spectrum saying, like, everything is, like, you have glute amnesia and your glutes aren't turning on. And then you get, like, the people all the way on the other side of the spectrum saying, like, if your glutes weren't turned on, you can't walk. Like, I don't know why we're battling, but I'll give you my personal take is sometimes muscles are inhibited when we have pain. The glutes are one of them. And if you have pain from the hamstring tendon, just like if you had an ACL surgery, Matt, like right after your surgery, because the knee is in a lot of pain, a lot of swelling, the quads don't work. Literally, you cannot squeeze your quads. It's like the weirdest thing. The same thing happens when we have pain and any injury in any part of the body. It's just different muscle groups tend to get really sleepy. And that's our goal is to like wake them up, like activate them, teach the runner how to oh, oh yeah, now I feel my left butt cheek is like as as firm as the other side when I do a lunge or when I do a squat, right? So it's a matter of like re-educating, taking them through a progression, and then yes, loading and strengthening. Like I'm not saying never lift heavy, but sometimes we need to like take a couple steps back so we could take five or ten steps forward in getting stronger as runners. And it just requires... Um, kind of integrative approach and i guess i went on a little soapbox there but i I just hate you know on social media and stuff you just see like two ends of the spectrum of like like you know you need to be doing this and then you get all the people like just lift heavy and just do squats and deadlifts and your glutes will get strong so there's my personal take i know you didn't ask for it, but i gave it to you
1: (laughs) no i think this is this is vital information because you know both of those things are true in certain moments Right. right. Like, like, like with mine, like when we, when we did stuff together, and even when I was seeing, uh, another PT up here who's, who's really good, he just, he's not a runner, so he wasn't quite able to identify what was wrong with my knee. Um, even he, he knows the same thing you did was that, like, one of my glutes was fine. The other one was, had glute amnesia or whatever. Like, it just, it, I, it needed to be, like, the light switch needed to be turned on. Right. with That one. Or the other one, it was always on. Right. And I'm sure it gets related. I'm 100% sure it's related to the fact that I've had multiple ankle injuries on one side. Right. So like, all right. So what was happening when I had ankle reconstructive surgery and I had a 12 month rehab from that? That was also the same ankle that I broke as a sophomore in high school and I had a cast on. Right. Like this is all interrelated and and you can get into like the, I I love like reading about this, which is like, I'm sure it's dry as toast for most people, but like reading about like, like the, the kind of like, and like their body's ancestral knowledge of itself and its overcompensation around certain things, uh, before it kind of like can get rebooted and reset to its kind of, its, it's, uh, you know, it's factory, it's, it's factory defaults, uh, right. so to speak. Um, so like I've, I've no doubt that like what was happening with my ankle was ultimately related to like my glutes because they were compensating and then being underused in certain areas.
0: Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's what it is. Your body is going to find least path of resistance right? If there's an injury, there's pain somewhere, it's going to still do the activity. It's just going to do it slightly different. And the problem is if those things aren't identified and they might not present a problem initially, but like you said, you know, with sports and you think about all these pros, right? Anyone who's coming back from surgery, it's not necessarily if it's a knee surgery that it's going to be the knee that that is the next injury. It's usually going to be somewhere different on the chain, whether it's a hip issue or a foot and ankle issue that they're going to, you know, run into problems with. And, you know, I remember myself being a big uh, Derek Jeter fan when he fractured his ankle um, and that was like catastrophic. And it was like, oh man, we lost Jeter. And, you know, he finally came back. Then I remember when he finally was cleared for baseball activities, it was like, what did he do? Like running to first base, he pulled his hamstring. Right then, it was like I think he pulled his quad or his calf. Like at another uh, point, a couple weeks later, and it's like those things are common because you're compensating still. You know, there's still areas that aren't as strong as they need to be to perform at the level that you really want to perform at. And
1: and and the the word strong is like doing a lot of lifting in that in that sentence, right? Because it's not that like it's not strong to a degree, right? It's also that like hey, it's just. Just like if what is it? Like if you tape two of your fingers together and just like we're going about your day, like within like two or three hours, your brain is already, you know, readjusting the settings to like all of a sudden it's like it's it's acting as if those two fingers are really one finger. Like the nerve mm-hmm. endings are already starting to manipulate towards that degree. Again, this is this is two hours after you just tape your fingers together to say nothing of like, Hey, for four to six weeks I'm in a hard cast.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely so
1: it's fascinating stuff alright this has been so much fun again I, I tell people go to your go to your podcast it's great um, healthy runner again you're, you're spark healthy runner for your your business and you do so many things like I can't even keep track you do all this stuff it's, it's, it really is amazing I, am, I definitely want people to follow you on Instagram too to get more information as well but now it's time for 5 shoe questions with Dwayne Scotty Dwayne I'm really excited for this so my man as we get at the end of this episode, I've again, I'll tell everyone here watching on YouTube to go check out episode with Dwayne over on the Rambling Runner podcast. Uh, but for this segment, what is your favorite daily trainer?
0: Oh, and this is one that I need to actually thank you, Matt, uh, because I remember hearing about it um, from you on one of your shows that you had mentioned. I was like, you know what? I never gave that a try because I was always a Hoka Clifton kind of guy, and then they started changing their model, and it really didn't feel good for my kind of outside toe. I got a little bunionette deforming, so like a wider forefoot, Um, and it it just wasn't feeling right, but it is definitely the uh, Mach 5. Um, you know, this is, I got the fours last year or the year and a half ago. I remember hearing about it from you and I I gave them a try and I was pleasantly surprised. Like they, they had a little wider toe box and it wasn't as like curve lasted on the bottom as the Clifton. And so this has been my daily trainer and even my long run shoe all throughout like marathon training last year. But I also have a close second here, uh, which is the Asics Gel uh, Cumulus, which I've really been enjoying. That's the twenty
1: five—that's the new one.
0: This is, yeah, I've really been enjoying this with a little bit, little bit higher um, heel to toe drop. Um, I've been trying to stay around, you know, the four or five, and I, I wanted to switch things up a little bit, add a little variability, um, and so I, I've been giving this a whirl. I've been uh, took it for about probably seven to eight runs now and i I like it i like it on certain days but i'm going to vary you know both of these in the rotation and yeah i've been pleasantly surprised because honestly i've never actually run in an Asics before because i remember when i thought about it eight or ten years ago the heel drops were like really high and yeah the the forefoot wasn't as wide so this you know is is a wider forefoot and i got like a narrow heel so this this fits me pretty good
1: I love that. Yeah, I, I agree with the Hoka Mach 5 is definitely much wider than the Mach 4. I'm sorry, the, the Hoka, yeah, the, the 5 is way wider than the 4. I had both, and I have a very narrow foot. And the 4, like, I didn't have to scrunch it down at all. I was like, there's no way some of the wide foot would be comfortable in this shoe. And they definitely went to the other end of the range with the 5. It's still fine for me. It's a great long range because it is super light. And it has, like, a nice little bounce to it. I had the Cumulus 22 yeah, I, had the, I, had the cumulus 22, which I was a big fan of. They definitely upped the stack in the forefoot, which is nice in this new model. Um, but I want to give that a try because there are definitely some ASICs. And for me, um, I haven't tried that one, but there's definitely something that have like a pretty voluminous forefoot, not even from a width perspective, but from a height perspective too. Like I've hmm. seen some, like, as someone whose foot comes down like a spear, like, a voluminous, like a voluminous forefoot isn't always the best for me, in particular. But I remember like the Evo Ride 1 had a really wide forefoot, not wide, but like had a, it was tall, right? So like, so like when I laced it, it would pucker. But for other people, they're like, this, this is probably great if you have kind of a, a beef, not beefier, but like a, a thicker forefoot would be a, a better, uh, mm-hmm. better way to describe it. Yeah. All right. How about race day?
0: So, race day, I'm going to have to go with the uh, Saucony Endorphin Pro. So, these were actually the twos um, that I used for all my half marathons last season and my marathon. And, you know, for me, Coming from, you know, I, I the first carving-plated shoe I did uh, was the Hoka model, their first original one, and this was like a huge step up uh, oh, yeah. from that. <laughs> so, uh, this I really, really enjoyed um, for last year's uh, races, but maybe we'll talk about the new one that I have a little bit later.
1: Oh, okay. There we go. So, did you run the, your marathon in that shoe? I did. I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. How was it? Was it was it soft enough for you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have any issues at all. Yeah, using the shoe.
1: That's good to know because I know that in the Pro Three, they softened up the midsole a little bit than the Pro Two. I know they had some people, like my friend Kafuzi, was always saying he, that the Pro Two was his like favorite five k shoe because he found it to be like okay. really snappy and he loved it for that. I think he's like a five k PR at it and things like that. Um, so that's that that's that's good right. to know. All right, let's go back in time a little bit, Dwayne. What was the first running shoe that you ever really loved?
0: Wow. Uh, so the first running shoe um, that I ever loved was probably the New Balance. Um, I think it was 1080s. Yes. I have to say that was the first. That was like what I wore at the beginning of my running journey. And, you know, they changed theirs a little bit more. And I, I just remember I, I think the forefoot got more narrow and my fifth metatarsal just kind of hung off the edge. Like it was like off, it was like the upper was off. Um, so I wound up, you know, switching out of that. And every time I tried to go to a New Balance, I felt like most of them were curve lasted. And I know they always, you know, marketed kind of their wide sizes, but I didn't need a wide size because I have like a narrow heel. I just needed a, a wider toe box essentially um or like more of a straighter lasted and not like a a crazy curve lasted that my fifth toe just like hung off the edge there um so that was that was the one that i that, that i started out in my running journey so i guess uh yeah that was probably the first uh favorite running shoe
1: is, now the, the, the way you're describing your foot like there's one company in my head that's like this is like this this company was made for Dwayne scotty and that's topo because topo has like okay the thin heel Average midfoot, but then wider toe box. So it's not okay. a wide footed shoe. Yep. It's just wider at the toes. It's actually okay. pretty thin at the heel or narrow at the heel, I should say. Um, and I know they've, there's the, some, some really interesting shoes coming out of Topo recently. Uh, especially if you like non plated racers, they have the Cyclone 2 came out with a full P-Bax midsole that is super bouncy and nice. They actually have it down at Kelly's. Down okay. in mystic which is like in between our two right. houses. Um, they actually have it in stock there. It's one of the rare places that you can actually get topos at a store as opposed to like a running warehouse where, you know, people can get links to all this stuff on uh, the show notes through running warehouse. Um, but that's one of those shoes again. Topos like made for like how you're describing your foot.
0: Right. Yeah, no, well, I haven't tried them, so now I am going to try them, Matt. You know, you gave me, like, the idea with the mock, so yeah, I'm going to have to listen to your recommendation.
1: <laughs> and, I, and I know this for sure because I actually tried Topos, uh, and I was like, God, oh, the 4-foot's just too wide for me, which means it's probably really good for other people because for me, like, just didn't quite fit. Um, but I do want to give the Cyclone 2 a try. Actually, I almost bought the Cyclone 2 two weeks ago, but they didn't have it in my size over at Kelly's. Um, all right. Let's do – I'm trying to think. The, the next one on the list – oh. Was there a shoe that you bought in the past that you had super high hopes for, but ultimately just was not a good fit for you?
0: Yeah, I would say it's probably this guy, uh, the Kinvara, and I haven't oh, this even is a actually, Kinvara
1: thirteen for people who are on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I haven't even um, you know tried to run in this one. I just had to get because it, it was like spark colors, and I can you know kick around and you know walk around in these things. Uh, I just love the color. But the previous model, I really tried to like make them more of like a threshold kind of shoe, a little bit lighter weight. I wanted a little lower heel to toe drop. I've been working on my intrinsic foot muscle strengthening and, you know, really building up my resilience, my Achilles tendon with some good strengthening exercises. And I wanted the shoe to work, but for some reason, it's, it's weird. Like on the push off, I feel like it's not smooth like the roll over is, is just not smooth. It almost feels like I get space in weird spots in the shoe. And I I tried it like many times. And for some reason for running, like I said, walking around, things like that. I I love them because they are a little bit of a lower heel drop, but unfortunately for running, they just didn't uh, work for me.
1: Oh, that's too bad. Well, you gave it a chance. You gave it a chance. At least you can still wear it just walking around, so it has still has some utility for you. All right, last yeah. question of the Before, day. Also, do you mind?
0: Do you mind if I mention? That's is a- the one that I would love to be able to run in are some ultras eventually, oh, and okay. the reason I haven't like these are great. The provisions that have some cushioning, if for those that are like standing for long periods of time on their feet, um, like I also teach in, like physical therapy lab setting where it's like, you know, concrete floors and I'm like on my feet all day walking around. But you have the zero drop and you have nice wide toe box where your toes can splay out. You can use your foot muscles and engage them. I just haven't given these a shot on the run yet, just because I want a little bit more Achilles strength. So I make sure that I don't get Achilles pain when I'm running, but hopefully one day I'll be able to like run in one of my ultras. I love strength training in my Escalantes, just that's a little bit lower to the ground, but hopefully one day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if they knew. the new, the Torrin 7 came out yesterday. I don't know if that one is still a zero heel drop. I know Ultra was bought by a new company and they've made some changes to a lot of their footwear in terms of like the, the sizing and everything, uh, in terms of widths and stuff like that. Um, so we'll have to see if they stay with zero drop exclusively or if they like Topo will have like some offerings. You know, some topos have a five, some topos have a zero. You just have to kind of see which one, see which one, I should say. Works best for you. All right, last one, Dwayne. If money was no object, which shoe would you choose for 2023?
0: Hey, man, I bought it. Hey, <laughs> there it is—the the Endorphin Elite <laughs> Saucony's Endorphin Elite. Yeah, I, I had a, I had to try it. I was just too intrigued, and like I said, I you know really enjoyed the Endorphin Pro last year, and it was hey, am I going to get the three this year for you know my race season or? hey, they got these elites now. So I, I was, you know, toying between the two of them and I pulled the trigger and uh, went with the elites and actually I'm going to be giving these, my first race actually tomorrow is my goal uh, spring half marathon race. Um, so I'm going to give them a whirl and if all goes well, then I'll be trying these for my fall marathon as well.
1: Dwayne, all right. This will be, this will be exciting. I can't wait to hear how you do, how they do, and all the, the details therein. So Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you're watching this on YouTube, go check out Dwayne's podcast over on the rambling runner podcast. Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on my man.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Always great catching up. Thank you as always for listening to the healthy runner podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster and enjoy lifelong injury free running. If you found this content valuable, here's five ways we can help you grow as a runner for free. One, one, Grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at Spark Healthy Runner. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner on Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Spark Healthy Runner. Five, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more experts in the running field and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcast or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner so you can maintain a strong mind, a strong body, and just keep running. Lastly, if you've been struggling with the constant injury cycle, not eating the right foods for running, or not getting faster as a runner, and you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner, head to sparkhealthyrunner.com to apply for a one-on-one signature coaching program thank you again. I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening and sharing this podcast with a running friend who can use the help. Now go and crush your run today. See you next week.